Respectfully. 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 A Melanated Therapist. Welcome in and welcome home, family. I'm Dimitri. And I'm Rade, and this is Respectfully a Melanated Therapist podcast. Just a quick disclaimer, this is not therapy. We are just two people who are doing a podcast who happen to be therapists. The information in our podcast is for psychoeducation and entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of therapeutic resources, please feel free to contact us and we'll point you in the right direction. All right, fam. So the topic this week is abandonment and neglect. Now, in a previous episode, we acknowledged that neglect is the state or fact of being uncared for or failing to look after someone or something properly. Today, we will discuss neglect during the formative years or from birth to age 18. Now, there are six different types of neglect. The first one is physical neglect, which is the failure to provide necessary food, clothing, and shelter. We have medical neglect, which is the failure to provide necessary medical or mental health treatment. We have inadequate supervision, which is an inappropriate or lack of supervision. We have environmental neglect, which is an environment that poses an unreasonable risk to the physical health or safety of a child. We have emotional neglect, which is the failure to meet a child's emotional needs and provide psychosocial support or permitting the child to use alcohol or other drugs. And then lastly, we have educational neglect, which is the failure to educate a child or to provide for special education needs. Ultimately, abandonment is the desertion of a child without arranging for reasonable care or supervision. Oh, man. Heavy topic. But thanks for sharing this, friend. You know, like, I think it's important that we definitely know what types of neglect can look like. Because I Mm. think when we think about neglect, we kind of think of one thing, right? Just not being present. Mm -hmm. Um. Now that we talked about these different types of neglect, let's talk about some of the common signs of neglect and abandonment. Uh, You may notice children have some withdrawal from their friends or their usual activities, some changes in behavior such as being more aggressive, angry, being hostile or hyperactive. Um, You may even see some changes in their school performance, so like decreasing grades, Um, increase in depression, anxiety, and unusual fears, or sudden loss in confidence. Um, um, a lack of apparent supervision. So you may see certain things like um, maybe they take themselves to school every day, right? And they live miles away, right? Just different things like that. Uh, Frequent absences from school, reluctance to leave school activities as if they uh, don't want to go home. Uh, If that child has some attempts at running away or truancy in school, a rebellious or defiant behavior or even self-harm or attempts at suicide can all be common signs of neglect and abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, so with all of that being said, are there any forms of neglect or abandonment that you have experienced during childhood that you feel comfortable sharing with our listeners? If so, you know, can you tell us how it's impacted you in adulthood and how you're working through it? Mm. That was caught and loaded. Um <laughs> Yes. Um, but before I dive into answering that question, just um, to kind of latch on to what you said about the si- common signs of neglect and abandonment, like, uh-huh. you know, um, your kid walking miles to school or, uh-huh. you know, being left home. Um, but, you know, I just want to say, you know, that there's a, a a difference between 
neglect and being a latchkey kid. Now, right. I was a la- I, <laughs> I was, was a latchkey latch kid. kid. Yes, yes. So yeah. you know, um, and the reason that I became a latchkey kid was for safety reasons because there was an environmental situation that happened with mm-hmm. at a babysitter's house where um, well, my great grandmother's house and one of my uh, cousins, he decided to push me into a pool, knowing that I did not know how to swim. Oh my God. So in that situation, now mind you, let's talk about the pool before we even talk about the experience. <laughs> so the pool was unkept. And when I oh say unkept, God. I'm not saying unkept to where there's just stuff falling in it and it just needs no, to be like netted out. Mucky? Uh, green. Green full of toads or whatever uh, would jump in there, like just nasty. So completely green. You can't see the bottom of it at all. Oh, Black green. Oh my God. So he pushed me Black in this pool. Green. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. So he pushed me in that pool, honey. And um, now mind you, okay, listeners, so I know y'all sitting here thinking, why would you go by the pool if you can't swim? Like, well, I mean, okay, they probably, would, I was a child, I probably wasn't was the, best, get pushed in it. the best choice. I didn't think I was going to get pushed in, you know, we was just playing, we were kids. But anywho, his little bad ass pushed me in. And when I went into the water, I opened, I remember opening my eyes. So, you know, oh and, listen, but the funny part is to this day. I cannot open my eye. I cannot swim <laughs> underwater and open my eyes. Like I need goggles. Like to this day, from that day to this one. Um, but anyway, so I opened my eyes. Right day, all I saw was green and black. I was like, so at this point, because you know I was raised, you know I believe in God, you know, still do. And I, you know, I was like, you know what? I had a conversation with God. I said, you know what, Lord? <laughs> I was like, uh, this is it. Wait. You had that conversation while you was under the water looking at the blue and green? Yes. Listen, because at this point, I'm not flapping my arms. I'm not flapping my legs because why am I going to panic? Because I know I don't know how to swim. So that just, to me, at that point, it don't make no sense because I'm already floating down to the bottom. So I'm like, we're not going to make it back to the top. So I'm like, Lord, I guess this is it. Um... I was like, it was, you know, I had a good life so far. Really, real deal, grown-ass conversation. Oh, excuse me. Grown conversation (laughs) with God. And mind you, I'm in elementary school. I couldn't have been no more than, like, maybe second, third grade having this full-on conversation with God. And, um... Lo and behold, I'm still here. So God had other plans, but it's so weird. Um, and why I also believe in divine intervention is because one of my cousins who doesn't live, who didn't live anywhere near the neighborhood where that Mm -hmm. we lived in just showed up out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And I guess he must have asked where I was and it was like, oh, they back, back playing and he jumped into in the pool and he saved my life and um oh my every God, chance i get right every chance i get i tell him that you know anybody who will listen that he saved my life and you know it makes him a little um uh i guess bashful would be the word i would use um oh but yeah well, what's his but, first initial what's our cousin first initial um b Thank you, cousin B. Listen, <laughs> without you, my dog would be here. Okay, correct, correct. And you know, I, you know, listen. Whole conversation with God. I'm like, listen, this is it. I know this is it, Father. Like, it ain't. I'm not even finna struggle. I'm not finna flap these arms because, you know, I just know that. You know, but I knew enough to know that that would make it worse. I don't know how I knew that would make it worse, but oh, you know, at this point, ain't no need a, 
uh, struggling to die. It's just, it's just happening. It just is what it is. You just had um, to accept listen, it. Listen, you know, way before the listen. that whole thing, the upper room. Like I was oh, on my way to the upper room. <laughs> you know but what? It, <laughs> Thank God for young Demetric and his wise mind. Listen, that's what happened. Raised by, raised by old people. <laughs> listen, I was you raised by what? my grandparents, so young with an old soul. <laughs> should not be laughing at this experience but i think just the way you tell this story <laughs> it's funny now but it wasn't uh, funny then but it's it funny was not now. funny then you know listen but no seriously that, that was the day my grandma uh made me a latchkey kid she was like listen here go this key you get off that That's bus that. you go in the house you close the door don't you go outside until somebody get home get mm-hmm. you something to eat sit you behind down and that's that so don't open the door for anyone. Don't nothing. Right. So no that's what happened yeah. from that day until, you know, I moved to um down to the Bay Area. Child, I was a latchkey kid. And um, and then by the time I moved, you know, down to the Tampa Bay, well, to Pinellas County in St. Petersburg, I um I was old enough to kind of, you know, take care of things. So I guess mm-hmm. I was still kind of a latchkey kid, but at that point I was just older. Just older and able to, yeah. you know, watch me and my brother. So it wasn't mm-hmm. kind of the same, but still the same. But yeah, sorry about my, my little tangent. <laughs> no, so, no. It was necessary, right? Because the whole yes. point was to discuss the difference between neglect or abandonment and being a latchkey kid. Very yes. differently. Very yes, different. Yes, yes. So yeah. to answer your question, yes, I have experienced forms of um, neglect um, and abandonment in childhood. So the neglect part um, was emotional, that emotional neglect. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, um, now that I'm older, I understand that it wasn't intentional. It was just one of that, you know, that generational trauma that we just recently talked about or those generational um, behaviors that are passed down. um, Yeah, the cycles. Yes, the cycles, exactly. And one of the ones in my family is we don't, talk about emotions we don't express them N- not anything other than anger or dismay or disappointment mm-hmm. but as far as really diving in and communicating you know um and providing that psychosocial support that wasn't there um but i don't at first i'm like mm, you know why didn't y'all do this etc cetera, etc cetera. but you can't mm-hmm. fault someone for not doing something they don't know how to do or not mm-hmm. doing something that they don't know is actually a problem Um, and the way that that impacted me in my adulthood is that it took me a long time to even share my feelings or experience with someone else for the longest time. I would hold everything in and basically, and you all know what happens when you hold stuff in, it it bursts like a pipe. It comes out. Yes. I explode. And then now I, I have to, you know go through this trail of quote unquote damage that I've caused by exploding and apologize and all those other things. And then mm-hmm. I had another cousin, <laughs> I had some good cousins um, who um, we started spending a lot of time together. And she was older than me. Um, mm-hmm. And we would spend a lot of time together just talking about everything and, you know, being in a vulnerable space and a safe space. And she is was the first person who created that for me. And mm-hmm. um, and what she did, and I think what made me feel so safe is that she would talk about her struggles and what she goes through emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that made me more comfortable um, with being vulnerable enough to share my experiences. And from that moment to now, now I can't hold nothing in. Now it's just, it got to come out. I know that's now. right. Right. So now. <laughs> 
now, you know, but I am a little strategic. And when I let it come out, I make sure that I understand it, make sure it's actually even something to express. And I'm not coming mm-hmm. from a place of, you know, being irrational or illogical um, and solely basing everything based off of a feeling and not fact. Um, right. And then the abandonment. Oof. Okay. So father was absent. Um, I may have saw him only two times in my lifetime. Um, one when I was probably five or six, kind of feel like four or five, but between four and six. And then the second time I saw him, I was um, in high school and it was at his um, his wake because um, he had passed away. Um, so wow. how that abandonment... So now we're, we're, we're looking at abandonment and emotional neglect. So I kind of told you how it impacted me in, in adulthood as far as the ne- emotional neglect. Now with the abandonment, whew, um, that feels for me felt like never being comfortable in trust. As never an adult? Being, as an adult, yes. Never being comfortable in trust. And when I say in trust, meaning that, you know, every relationship that I've been in, there's always this, it's it's a, it's reduced now that, you know, I'm in therapy and I have more knowledge and I have more self-awareness. But before all of that, it was really not being comfortable in a relationship, unable to be vulnerable, not being able to trust my partner when my partner's not giving me anything to not trust about always having this feeling in the back of my head that I'm going to do something and they're going to leave. So mm. as a result, now I'm overcompensating. Now I'm doing everything for this person that I could possibly think this person would want. Mind you, they ain't never to told me they around. wanted none of these to stay around. Mind you, these, this person ain't never told me that they wanted any of these things. So mm-hmm. when, in reality, none of the things that I was doing really mattered because most of the things they were like, well, I could do that for myself. Like, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. need you to do that for me. Um, and I feel like in the, the situations where it went, you know, when we broke up, ultimately it still happened anyway. And I feel like it happened not because truly of the the fear of being abandoned, but almost to the fact that I did everything that I could do to make sure that that happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, child. That, like I said, that question was caught and loaded. Um, <laughs> how about you, my friend? Um, Man, okay. So, first of all, I really want to ask you some questions, but you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead, friend. I'm an open book. (laughs) So what was this experience like where like you see your dad the first time like alive and moving and up and moving kind of thing? We go through thoughts and emotions as children of like, why is this person not there? And then the next time you see him, is that his wake? Yes. Um, Okay, listeners. So this is real raw and uncut, but this story, I am going to respect some of the people involved um, because it that part of the, even though it's a part of my story, it's part of it belongs to someone else. And I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to tell that part of it for them. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is um, it... Let's just say I did not know he existed before the first time I met him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was just, you know, known that it was just me, my mom, and my grandparents. And then eventually my little brother when he was born. Um, so when I saw him, <laughs> I was, um, my mom was outside talking to him. And um, I went, it was kind of dark. So basically street light status is on, but it wasn't like pitch dark. So I ran outside and I'm playing outside. Um, and I'm like, okay, um, I'm just enjoying myself because um, I'm happy to be outside after the street lights on because that was I couldn't do that regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't paying them any attention. So he stops me, interrupts my plan. So at this point, I'm like, OK, now who are you? Because you interrupted me. And um, he was like, boy, you don't know who I am. Like real matter of fact, I was like, no. <laughs> oh, I had a real <laughs> slick. I had a real slick mouth um, back then, friend. I was like, uh, No. And he was like, I'm your daddy. I was like, uh, no, you're not. And um, he was like, go ask your grandma. And I went in. I was like, Ma. And that's what I called my grandma. I was like, Ma, is that man out there say he my daddy? Is he my daddy? And she was like, yeah. And then I came back outside and he was like, yeah. Um, he was like, what she said? I was like, she said, yeah, that you my daddy. And, um, you know, so then I did what any child would do to, you know, a situation where you just met a parent. <laughs> for the first time. So I'm kind of all over him at this point, like happy, enjoying. Um, and then, um, you know, he told me that we would, he would come, um, I think the following week or the week after that. Either way, he said that he was coming back and he would take me to the movies. Needless mm-hmm. to say, that never happened. Um, no relationship, no nothing um, with him or any other family members paternal family members. So then at this mm. point, we're living in St. Pete and I was hanging out with my friends and I came home and my mom called me into her room and she was on the phone with one of my aunts and she was like, um, your, your dad died. And my response is, okay. And then I walked away. And then I'm like, okay, Demetri, that was insensitive. I was like, but I don't know him. So I was mm-hmm. like, um, so I came back, I was like, you know, how did he pass? And she told me how he passed away. And um, that was that. And then we came down um, to Gainesville, which is, you know, where both of my parents are from, to go to the wake, which I didn't want to do. So thank God for one of my aunts because she was there with me because my mom, she just couldn't face that situation um, Mm -hmm. based on some past hurts and things like that. So my aunt went in there with me. I got to see him. so weird, like, you know, he was bald, but I wear, you know, my hair really low. And then I had earrings mm-hmm. in my ear. He also had earrings in his ear. So it was mm-hmm. this whole situation because, of course, all of my paternal family members who I don't even know are in the room while I'm mm-hmm. at the front viewing the body. And mm-hmm. at that, when I walked in, they were crying. But after, you know, they saw me, they stopped and they were just staring. Frozen. So then I'm like, I'm trying to get up out of here. Um, didn't know what anxiety was, but I'm pretty sure that's what the hell it was. I'm trying to get the hell out of Dodge. So mm-hmm. my aunt, which I'm glad she did though, because I walked up to it and I immediately went to turn around, like, let's go. But I, I don't know, my aunt know that, that knew that I needed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to pay more respect to the situation. So she actually grabbed my arm and she made me stand there. And then she talked about, you know, the resemblances and stuff like that. And then we left out. And as we leaving out, the funeral director stops us in our tracks. I'm like, oh Lord. So then he was like, oh, is this him? So now he just speaking at the top of his lungs. Oh my God, he looks just like him. Like, I mean, so not everybody in the, the area where the body was is now mm-hmm. 
stand like basically in the looking around the doorway, just staring. Like mm-hmm. it was one of the most um anxiety producing situations I have ever been in in my life. But um mm. needless to say, you know, it was I kind of looked at it as it, it is what it is. It's it's nothing that I can do because he's gone. You know, but there's still all of those questions that you ask yourself, like, well, what was wrong with me? Like, was I not mm-hmm. important enough? Like, you know, and even taking it a step further, like, okay, if my dad didn't, but I still had, you know, paternal family members all in Gainesville and, you know, Gainesville is small. So pretty much 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes away, max in every direction. And, you know, um, a lot of that, you know, tied into my self-worth as a person, you know, mm-hmm. the situations that I walked into because I didn't know my worth. Um, it was a lot, but I'm on the kind of the other side of it now. Um, you know, I still deal with some, you know, those abandonment thoughts still come into play every now and then, but I'm mm-hmm. in a better position to recognize them um, and then refute them um, where necessary or reframe them to ensure that I'm being realistic, but also being kind, encouraging, and and supportive of myself at the same time. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing this. I I, ask because I can only imagine a complicated like grief that comes with with having to go to a wake for an absent parent when Mm -hmm. you hadn't you had only met them one time before with expectations that they'll be back. No. Right. Exactly. And furthermore, as we've said before, I think there's power in telling our story. And for people to hear that, you never know who may also have had a very similar experience to you and mm-hmm. probably needed to know, you know, somebody does know what it feels like, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, yeah. And the biggest part of that um, through my healing is understanding that his la- his absence or what he didn't do or how he didn't show up was not a direct reflection of me. It was not my fault. It was whatever Mm -hmm. he Mm -hmm. had going on, whatever was going on with his journey and his life experience that contributed to that. Um, And that's the biggest piece for me is really just kind of separating the act from the person. And when I say the person, meaning me, separating what Mm -hmm. happened to me as not being a direct reflection of me. Exactly. Yes. Yes. A word. Okay, I guess now it's my turn to answer this question. Okay, yes, cocked and loaded. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, yes, I have experienced uh, emotional neglect from a parent, uh, no abandonment from parents, though, which I am very grateful for. Um, so the emotional neglect experience had more, honestly, at some points, it was both of my parents, but mostly one. And a lot of it was them being like physically there, but mentally and emotionally detached, right? Mm-hmm. And I can count the amount of times that I can say that my dad was like emotionally available for me. And the reason I can count those times is because they were important to me, you know, like they actually made a difference. And I think mm-hmm. throughout like, my childhood, teenage experience, adulthood experience, I had yearned for that emotional connection with him, just as I have with my mom and that we were able to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it impacted 
the way that very similar to you, what my relationship looks like, of course. But ultimately, I feel like I was falling into relationships with people, whether it was friends, whether it was romantic relationships, people mm-hmm. that I just had crushes on that were not able to be emotionally present for me, just like he mm-hmm. wasn't able to be. Mm-hmm. And it's because I was looking for what I knew without very subconsciously looking for people that couldn't actually be present for me because mm-hmm. if then if I come, came into their lives, if they could be, right, then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, good on my part, right? Like, mm-hmm. I got them. I'm enough. I'm worthy mm-hmm. of that emotional connection. And it took a while for that, for me to accept that reality of that being where I was, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um But definitely in friendships, this happened as well, you know, like seeking that external validation of my worth by people being present for me without being able to recognize that they couldn't be present for me because of their own shit, not because of who I am. Mm -hmm. And in adulthood, my dad and I have had multiple conversations at this point, and we're definitely on much in a much better space, which Mm -hmm. I am so grateful and thankful for because I was able to have compassion for where he was. Mm -hmm. And it's not that my, to be honest with you, I don't feel like my dad didn't notice his lack of emotional presence. I think he mm-hmm. noticed it, but I don't think he had the tools to actually do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And same thing for my mom. Sometimes she wasn't emotionally present. As you mentioned, there were a lot of moments of that, uh, of the anger and all of those things that those emotions were being shown. Mm-hmm. But the gentle, the tender emotions, right? The more vulnerable, deeper ones were not always shown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, goes to what we were saying, you know, in a previous episode about just the trauma history and trying to break some mm-hmm. generational cycles or trying to maintain the, if you don't get it in here, you're going to get it 10 times worse out there right. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And, but then there were other moments where I always had a safe space to land with my mom, if mm-hmm. to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I should probably share this on a podcast before, but I have no idea. But um, there, I'm grateful for these moments where, even though one parent wasn't always emotionally present, there were in those times my mom still was. So if me and my mm-hmm. mom would get into a big blowout argument or something, if there was that huge anger, that huge aggression, all of those things, I knew for a fact that on Saturday or Sunday, after we did whatever we were going to do or after church or whatever, we were going Mm -hmm. to eat somewhere and we were going to have a conversation and she was going to hear me Mm -hmm. and I was going to hear her. And that felt like, okay, even if we don't talk right now, I know the conversation is coming Mm -hmm. and I know that I will be heard. Right. So that helped, but it still didn't remove the negative emotions I had about Mm -hmm. not having my dad be emotionally present. Um, so like I was saying, a lot of anger and aggression, right? Because those are easy emotions to show. It was a lot of intentional anger in my house, right? If I show you that I'm this mad, I know you won't do that shit again, Mm -hmm. rather than having the conversation, stuff like that sometimes. And sometimes it wasn't much to converse about because I think my dad was in his own head about his own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so since then, we've had conversations. We definitely talk. And I definitely can have compassion for the fact that it wasn't about me, right? Like mm-hmm. my parent was a person before I even existed. Mm-hmm. He's had oh, experiences before mm-hmm. I was even thought about, honey, okay? Mm-hmm. And was still having them when I was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't stop the world with, <laughs> with, uh, right, my, right. with my birth. Sad, sad <laughs> to say, you know, that, that ain't happened. But yes. 
And I think, and that now, I think in the past, I had so much resentment built up because I was like, damn, like, why am I enough for you to, why am I not enough for you to just be there? Mm -hmm. But truth of the matter is, is that one, he didn't know how to be. And two, it wasn't about me not being enough, right? Like Mm -hmm. at all. And once that clicked for me, I was able to offer him some grace and myself some grace for Mm -hmm. the fucked up relationships I've been in, the fucked up things I've allowed people to do to me and take advantage, which has Mm -hmm. also led to my adulthood being that whole cutoff scenario. Even teenage childhood, you know, well, more about teenage years, like high school time frame, like just cutting people off. And it was Mm -hmm. bad. You know, we know it was bad. (laughs) But (laughs) needless to say, (laughs) is that like... You know, being able to navigate relationships appropriately and in a healthy manner was Mm -hmm. the biggest thing. And working through that looked like acceptance and giving people grace to give them another chance. I will say that then started those. Okay. When I was looking for worth in other people, ultimately, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of codependency happening. And then once reality hit and I realized, okay, my worth is not based on what you got going on when it comes to me. It was codependency increased, but they the tables turned a bit mm-hmm. because on the other side of it, then I was just, I guess you could say like the passive one, right? Just kind of mm-hmm. letting things just go or always trying to control a situation. So I just dabbled between both sides of codependency for a minute because then I was like, okay, well, I just want to give people the opportunity instead of me cutting them off. And so I just let them keep taking advantage, keep taking mm-hmm. advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now I have a good balance, y'all. But truth of the matter is, is it took me a long time to figure that out because I was trying to figure out how to ultimately, if we want to be real, how to bask in my femininity and also in my masculinity. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was trying to balance that energy and it was a struggle to begin with. So, mm-hmm. so well, yeah. thank you for sharing that friend. Um, you know, one of the things that you said that kind of rang true and, you know, don't you find it strange that, you know, based on the neglect or abandonment or things that we didn't get when we were growing up that we are, that we think that we are intentionally searching for, but actually end up searching and, getting involved in situations that look exactly like what we didn't get. Right. What we're running from. I exactly. do think it's I think it's strange, but I also think that it that is where the lessons are learned, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think like we think, okay, I'm looking for something different, but we start to perpetuate, like we talked about that self-fulfilling prophecy. And for those of you that don't know what self-fulfilling prophecy is, it's ultimately when we decide or when we have a belief about something or idea about something, and then we subconsciously look for it. And then Mm -hmm. once it happens, we're like, oh, see? So an example of this is the idea is everybody leaves me. And then once we get into a relationship with people, whether it's friendship, romantic relationships, we tend to do things to push them away, not Mm -hmm. responding to calls, dismissing them, being uh, being overly aggressive, things like that, just showing them their Mm -hmm. lack of importance. And then when they leave, we're like, ha, see, told you, told you we're going to leave. That's what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I do, I I do think it's strange, but I think that's what our lessons are learned, right? Like if I didn't Mm -hmm. experience that, then I wouldn't 
have learned, I don't even like how it feels when I behave this way. Right. right? I don't mm-hmm. like how it feels that I'm pretty much begging you to stay in my life. What what the fuck is that? Right. Like I don't, well, your ass I don't probably like, need to be gone. Needs exactly. Like, but I'm begging you to stay here because I'm thinking that's what is needed for you to realize how important you are to me. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are this is what the the healthiness ends up looking like because you recognize I didn't even like how that shit felt when I was acting that way, yet alone how you were acting. So mm-hmm. how about we both just don't <laughs> right. kind of situation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that well said, friend. Well said. All right, fam. So now we're moving on to our therapist hats off segment of the podcast. Um, Rade, do you have our first question? I sure do. So First question from a listener is, my parents were in and out of prison throughout my childhood. As they are trying to be a part of my life now, I don't know how to trust that they will be consistent. What can I do? Well, to be honest, on impact, you don't know that they're going to be consistent. Um, I think the real question is, do you want them to be a part of your life? And if you do want them to be a part of your life, what does that actually look like? Um, Does that mean, you know, Talking on the phone often, texting often, actually spending you know time together in the physical. Um, but you know, I think it all begins with self awareness, processing, and understanding how you feel, healing, and then this big word that me and Rodney talk about all the time: forgiveness. Mm-hmm. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't process, heal. Well, first acknowledge, process, and heal, and then forgive, you'll always look at them as the parents who were not there. You will never be able to see them for the people they are now. And to take it a step further, at the end of the day, you have to get to learn your parents all over again. Because who they were back then is a completely different person that's in front of you, good, bad, or indifferent. And then just take it step by step. You know, some things with, you know, when it comes to like neglect and abandonment, we always looking ahead. We always thinking ahead. Okay, well, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? You know, the anxiety Mm -hmm. of it all. When ultimately, let's just be present and focus on the here and now. Have those conversations that you didn't have all of that time when they were absent. Of course, it's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel good for, for any of you, but it's necessary to have those discussions, to heal on all sides of the table. And then you have to realize that ultimately your parents had their own struggles and trauma, which led to them not being fully present in your life. So they have things that they need to process and heal. So why not do it together as much as possible? And why not develop new um, behaviors or new Mm -hmm. commitments together? Yeah. Yep. What you think, Rodney? Okay. Well, first of all, love your response to this because, yes. Now, I'm making a vow not to say um, I'll have, I'll, I'm not going to add anything to that and then start talking because that'd be my MO. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I can't with you. <laughs> <laughs> so. I love what you said, and I think I have a little to add. Here we go. Okay. So I think that Demetric is spot on with acknowledging and 
becoming aware of what is happening for you in that moment. I think it's also important for you to look at, you know, understanding why these emotions are coming up. And if you are actually in a space to be able to be open and vulnerable with your parents um, Mm -hmm. before you invite them back into your space, because ultimately the decision is yours. Mm -hmm. They're, they're putting the ball in your court. And I understand that this could be scary. You're probably experiencing a number of emotions, but I think it's important that we, we acknowledge the fact that that is normal for you to be feeling all of these different emotions. This is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like Demetrix said, this is going to be hard. This is going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward to start, but Mm -hmm. if you want to do this, you have to get started. Yeah. Um, The biggest piece is not holding on to things that they did, hoping that they won't impact you anymore. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So understand that your experience is yours. And over time, these things are still going to hurt, right? There is no mm-hmm. way we're going to be able to look back at your childhood and say, oh, my parents were in prison, but it's fine now. I was okay, right? Like, you're still probably going to be like, yeah, that shit sucked when they were not mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and let's just be real about that point blank period. Right. But I think it's also important that in moving forward that you don't have any expectation that, like Demetri said, that your parents are the same people because they're probably not. The same way you can learn and grow and evolve is the same way that they can. And Mm -hmm. so allowing for that opportunity to show itself is one thing, but also do some deep diving with yourself and understand, am I ready for that? And am I ready to open that relationship up again with them? And if the answer Mm -hmm. is no, then find out why. What Mm -hmm. is happening for you that isn't allowing the space for, for the opportunity to reconnect and forgive over time? Because it takes time. The other side of this is building this relationship for you and not for them. So don't pity them that puts you in a position to, oh, well, I guess I have to because they're my parents, right? You know, you get to make this decision and you get to be okay with that decision. Understand we don't know if the right decision is the right one until we make it. And so Mm -hmm. give yourself some time and some space and the opportunity to think things through and process. And it's just not going to be easy. And I don't want to tell you that it's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not. Um, if you can, I I strongly suggest um, for if maybe you and your parents haven't had these first conversations yet, things like that. And the first time you guys really start talking again, write down, five things that you've learned over the past maybe 10 years Mm -hmm. about yourselves and share it with each other because I think it can offer some insight into who you are now versus who you were then and who they were then. It just, it gives some space for that. So I hope that helps. Yeah. Well said, friend. And you, you made a good point, um, especially about being aware of why you feel what you feel, because most times when we've been hurt subconsciously, that first knee-jerk response is vindictiveness. It Mm -hmm. is spitefulness, vengeance. So you want to always be aware of what you're feeling and how you're reacting and how you're behaving, because ultimately you don't want to end up doing the very same thing to them that they did to you. Exactly. That's not who you wanted to be anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So 
Our next question is, I realized that my 10-year-old is struggling with separation anxiety. How can I help fix this? Okay. Um, one, you can't fix anyone. That's the first thing. Um, we, we don't Amen. fix kids. We don't fix kids. Uh, Amen. We just don't fix people. But that's the first thing. But then um, the other side of this is, one, I would say, look at the adult behavior around your child. I That's where it starts. Children mirror behaviors that are modeled to them. And it's important that you and other adults around your child that are uh, pivotal or, or influential adults in their life are paying attention to their responses to certain things because that child is learning from you. Um, so with that being said, when it comes to separation anxiety, understand that it is all about the fear of you not returning. Mm -hmm. And so there is a fear that if you don't return, I'm going to be alone to do this on my own. So looking at creating space for your child, if they're 10, they are aware of time. They should be able to tell time at this point. And they're also aware of who their most important people are. So the whole thing about being aware of time is being able to say, all right, today I will be back at um, 5 p.m. on the dot. If I'm not home within at by 5.15, give me a call, okay? Mm -hmm. And what that does is that gives them the opportunity to trust what you're saying to them and that you'll be on mm -hmm. time. And if you're not, that they can reach you still, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of, it offsets the idea of, I have no idea when they're coming home and it could be forever. So then when you finally get home, it feels like a surprise to them. So doing little things like that, as well as sitting down with your child at 10, they should be able to start to articulate what's coming up for them and being able to ask, you know, how do you feel when mommy leaves? Or how do you feel when daddy leaves? And if they tell you things like scared or whatever it comes up, um, being able to ask them, okay, well, what makes you scared? Or what can help you feel safe? Kids can come up with all kinds of things. They'll tell you a stuffed animal. They'll tell you a phone. They'll tell you mm -hmm. whatever. They usually can tell you and articulate what they need. Ask. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a parent, you don't have to know all of the answers and your kids probably have more answers than you you recognize. Mm -hmm. Do you have well anything to say? Well said, friend. I mean, no, I don't have anything to add, but I'm a talk because I'm a talker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, you kind of hit it, um, you know, pretty much on what I was going to say on the end of your response. But communication is key. Communication is key. And when I say mm -hmm. communication, it's basically don't think your child is not competent enough or too young to have a more structured and serious conversation about the separation anxiety. And it's important to, to allow them the space to express and unpack what they're actually experiencing, not only to, for them, but for you to understand the thoughts that they are having that are contributing to the separation anxiety or exacerbating those symptoms. So, you know, one way that you can do that is focusing on the facts or the evidence. 
So if the fear is, you know, ultimately you're going to leave and never come back, then, you know, talking to your child to say, okay, well, has there ever been a time that I've left and I haven't returned? So talking through those things, talking through the, the evidence or the facts that you have that disproves the thoughts that they are having regarding the separation anxiety. Um, and then, you know, all of those other helpful um, interventions that Roddy gave, I think that's, that's it. I don't think it's nothing left to say. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually, I do actually have something. Think about like teachers and stuff like that. Ask your kids about their teachers. Children build very um, intense relationships with teachers. They're with them most of the time. Maybe they had a teacher that left things like that, right? That probably left abruptly or, you know, having substitutes come in and not knowing your teacher's going to be there. Just different things like mm-hmm. that can trigger. But uh, also asking or communicating with your child that um, that it's going to be okay, I think is a huge thing. Consoling them instead of having an aggressive or reactive response, um, mm-hmm. getting to their level. That is a means towering over them, but literally squatting down to their level and checking in about, hey, what's happening for you right now? Okay, mm-hmm. taking a pause, helping them recognize that you're not just dismissing what's happening. Absolutely. All right, guys. All right, fam. So. Earth lesson for the week is our parents do not always have the tools to be present the way that we needed them to be. However, you always have the chance to be present for yourself as an adult and heal your inner child. Respectfully, a melanated therapist. If you know a child is being abused or neglected, call 1-800-422-4453 for help. All right, fam, remember to follow us on Instagram at respectfullymt and send your questions and topic requests to requestmt at gmail.com. Until next time, fam. Peace. Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist. therapist.